Principal Matters Podcast, episode 198. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're going to be talking about responding to questions on equity and racism with my three special guests, Marlena Gross-Taylor, Don Parker, and William Stubbs. Let me introduce each of them to you. Marlena Gross-Taylor is a dedicated and successful ed leader with a proven track record of improving educational and operational performance. In addition to education consulting, she serves as the chief academic officer to Douglas County School District in Denver, Colorado. Originally from Southern Louisiana, Marlena's educational experience spans several states, allowing her to have served K-12 students in both rural and urban districts. She has previously served as a director of secondary schools, She's been recognized as a middle school master teacher and an innovative administrator at the elementary, middle, and high school levels. She's a proud Louisiana State University alumnus and the founder of EduGladiators, an organization that provides education, consulting, and publishing services across the U.S. Marlena, welcome to Principal Matters. Thank you, Will, for having me. We're so glad you're here. Our second guest is William Stubbs. He is the middle school managing director at Uplift Education in Dallas, Texas. He is a former instructional leadership director, a former K-12 principal, dean of students, and upper school literature teacher. He holds an MSA from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and a BA in English from Shaw University. He's also the co-moderator for the Twitter chat, BME's Talk, each Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, where educators across the U.S. share ideas, research, and feedback on ways to encourage positive outcomes for Black male Educators. William Stubbs, welcome to Principal Matters. It's so great to see you, my friend. Likewise. And our third guest is Don Parker, Dr. Don Parker, a highly sought after speaker and professional development provider and the principal of Posen Intermediate School in Posen, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. He was previously the principal of Lincoln Avenue School, a K 8 school in Dalton, Illinois, where he improved culture implemented resilience programs, managed the implementation of restorative justice, and increased attendance and student achievement. He's also the author of the new book, Building Bridges, Engaging Students at Risk Through the Power of Relationships with Solution Tree Press. It is such an amazing privilege to be with these three leaders in this important conversation. And first of all, I just want to thank all three of you for taking the time to join me in today's show. I've reached out to each of you individually. I appreciate your friendship and being colleagues with you in education. And as each of you has also been a guest on a previous show, some of Principal Matters listeners will recognize you, but it's just an honor and a privilege to facilitate this important conversation. And I just want to begin by asking for some general reflections. Over the past several weeks, educators around the world have been having conversations about equity, racism, social inequalities. And as you have observed what is happening right now, I'm just really curious, what have been your thoughts and reflections, both personally and professionally? And to get this conversation started, I'm just going to ask Marlena if you could make some comments first. Sure. You know, you started off in my intro about being from Southern Louisiana, and I I like to make that distinction because Southern Louisiana is different from Northern Louisiana. The food's different. But uh, really more so when we talk about racism and uh, protesting, 
I, I do feel that Southern Louisiana and how I grew up during, you know, the 80s and 90s and having to protest to have MLK Day off and things like that, I think is significant. It, it's also very timely with the last, my last blog post, Never Dim Your Light, with this whole epiphany that I've actually, you know, found myself around, you know, not only being Black, but being proud to be Black and not minimizing who I am to make others primarily, you know, dominant culture, as Robin DiAngelo says in her book, White Fragility, are are making white people feel better by making myself be less than. So all of these, from my blog post to just having to have deep reflective time, thinking, spending a lot of time back in Louisiana at the start of the year, and then coming back and having all of these things happen, it's all converged on this one point. And to be quite honest, when everything started happening, of course, you get angry when you see someone of color being mistreated and, and treated like an animal that, that makes me very angry. And I have, I have boys, I have three boys that I've raised and they're out of the house now, you know, but more so than that is, as the protests were starting and I start seeing, um, you know, other people pick up the, the, the torch of leading that equity change, uh, from, you know, my white colleagues to people I didn't even know, getting texts from people like, are you okay? Again, particularly from my white uh, PLN, I was, I was overwhelmed. And there are many times, you know, weekend before last in particular, when it all kind of reached a fever uh, pitch that I just was crying and I'm not a crier. I'm much more of a cusser than a crier. And I was just crying and just, just sad and just disheartened. And just, it felt like the weight of everything that I've been carrying that I I talk about in my blog post, you know, like it was being lifted, if that makes sense, off off of me and then shared among other shoulders because finally it felt like the world was seeing what we as Black people have always shared and normally it's received as, oh, you're just being too sensitive, you know, are, are being met with calls of civility when we try to protest. So... It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. Mm, That's a good word, overwhelming. William Stubbs, I noticed today on Twitter that you had put out a post to encouraging other Black educators to check on colleagues around their PLN too. And so I'd love to pose that same question to you and Don, but William, you next. What are some of the thoughts and reflections you've had both personally and professionally? Yeah, thank you. I think that that post came out of Number one, I think when you have any presence on social media, you have to be intentional as to why you are on social media, right? We're, we're not teenagers. And so the, the reason to connect isn't there solely for uh, Friday night events or to, to keep my uh, social calendar busy. And so I think as educators and public figures become on social media, they have to understand that they have a voice, whether or not they use it becomes questionable, but you have a voice. And so I think that post came out of just naturally being one who checks in and you know that will, we randomly check in on each other from time to time. Uh, And I think for me, when someone comes across my mind, um, I'll just check in on on him or her. So that post came out of, uh, since all of this started to to happen again, this, this racial uh, the violence and the tension just bubbling up again. You know, I know that I am one who processes um, sometimes in silence and sometimes I orally process and inject and just checking in with other males or black male educators. Uh, I had a range, I heard a range of responses and emotions. 
and uh, just wanted to be more intentional. And so I thought this weekend I would encourage others to check in on 10 and to identify black male educators within their circle of influence that they can check in on. If you don't have at least 10, then that should encourage you to at least check in on some and, and start to create that, that network. But to answer your question directly, when I think about like all that's going on, I feel like spirits are broken uh, in our community. People are angry and they want answers. They want action to happen and happen quickly. I think the black community is again at, in a state of awe and shock and not that this happened, but this is happening again. And so I, th- I think we stand there um, in question and in protest. What's good to see is that other marginalized communities are coming out and being a part of at least some of the protests that I've been a part of. And they, too, are lifting their voice to speak out and to speak with, uh, which is which is very important. Also, personally, I can say I have three daughters uh, and so I don't have sons to really, you know, wrestle with that emotion of, you know, is my son safe every time he leaves the home? And our daughters are with us always. Uh, but now, you know, I think I'm having to look through that lens as will my daughters be safe as well? But I have a lot of friends who have sons and to hear, you know, fear in their voices, to hear concern, to hear worry about the livelihood of, of their children and their sons in, in particular, you know, is it's not a comfortable feeling. And so I, I think like those are some reflections that I have. And as I'm talking to others and, and checking in and making sure that I'm of resource and that I use my voice uh, in, in a proactive uh, manner, I think that's what's what's coming out mostly. Thanks, William. And I appreciate your commitment to community because as I've seen you make those kinds of posts, I know that you, you practice what you preach. So I appreciate you reaching out to other people to check on uh, how they're feeling too. And Don Parker, I would love to just have your reflections as you've um, observed what's happening either professionally or personally. What are some of the thoughts that you've been experiencing? Personally, uh, I heard about what happened. When I heard about what happened, I was like, wow, this continues to happen. And it was ironic for me because uh, my wife's brother was visiting us from Indianapolis and we were watching the news. And as we were watching the news, we just heard about, you know, how many shootings there were or how many stabbings there were in Chicago over the past weekend. And then he looked at me and, you know, he was like, wow, Don, I can't watch you guys' news. This Chicago news is so depressing. And I said, man, you know, I, I hear it all the time. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, that's the normal. And then when I heard about uh, another innocent Black man suffering from police brutality, having his life lost, you know, at first, it's that saying clicked into my mind all the time. Wow, this is just normal in America. But then after actually seeing it and watching it, after everybody was posting a video and seeing it on the news, you know, that feeling of, of numbness or that feeling of, okay, this is normal, started to evade. And all of a sudden, when I saw it, I started feeling anger. I started feeling mad. I started feeling sorry for him and sorry for his family. And then also sorry for the people who was around witnessing that. And so it really was a sick feeling that I got inside. It really disturbed my soul when I saw that. And then we saw the news about all the protests taking place. And I was like, is this what it's really going to take for people to understand where Black people, you know, as a people are feeling and where we're coming from? You know, is this what needed to happen in order for a sense of urgency to take place in order to force a change in America to stop this. And so 
I also was disturbed by all the riots that I saw that started taking place. And then it seemed like things calmed, things leveled. And then the protests were actually the peaceful protests and the message was the top story on the news and all the riots and destruction that was taking place. So hopefully I feel like we're at that point where our voices are being heard, lawmakers and politicians and just the general public are getting an idea of how we feel and the change that we want to see happen. So from a professional standpoint, you know, what I would say to uh, teachers and other educational leaders is, yeah, let's have a sense of urgency of things that we see that needs to take place, that, that needs to be changed, start taking those actions in order to change them in a responsible way. Well, thank you, Don. You know, as I've reached out to each one of you individually, you know, I, I did so with mixed emotions. One, because you're my friends. Two, because I know you represent demographics across the nation that are different from one another. And three, because your parents of children just like I am. And as I've watched my own children responding with a lot of emotion, a lot of concern, a lot of desire to, to do something, I really wanted to just host a conversation to, to explore some of those questions. And Don, you've kind of spoken to this already. But the second question that I, I really wanted to explore with you guys was, as you think about education leaders, and obviously Principal Matters listeners are from various settings, urban, suburban, rural. I'm just really curious what thoughts you have for education leaders that are among various demographic groups, because uh, some may be in urban settings, some may be in rural, some in suburban, but all of them serve school communities. So what are some ways that school leaders can be having helpful conversations with their communities? And I know a lot of them are in summer break right now, so this might look different now than it does when school begins, but I'm just really curious what kinds of conversations that school leaders can be having with their communities. And, and Don, I'd like you just to pick up on that because I know you spoke to that earlier. And then, William, if you could respond after Don, that would be great. So I think when educators are around their staff or around their students, you know, not only is it important for students to be able to express how they feel, it's also important that educational leaders talk to their staff about how they feel, about how this may have affected them personally, you know, how they're feeling emotionally. Are they in a, a healthy space? to even be in front of children and discuss this in front of children, you know, without personal bias or feelings coming into the conversation. So first of all, I think that, you know, as educational leaders, we have to have conversations with teachers and uh, student personal uh, service providers as well to say, hey, you know, how are you feeling about conducting these conversations? And kind of give them guidelines on to how to facilitate these discussions with students. Um, as far as students, I feel like we need to you know, sit the students down almost in like what we do, peace circles, and bring up topics of this conversation about race, race relations, understanding how people need to be treated with respect, understanding, you know, laws, policies, and what changes, you know, need to be made. And just go around and just have the students express exactly how they're feeling, exactly how, you know, it made them feel when they saw what occurred, and just ask them, what is the end goal? Now that we've looked at the issue, we looked at the problem, what end goals would you like to see? And then what actions can you take? What actions can we take as a class? What actions can we take as a school to help reach that end goal? So I think you have to start with the end goal in mind and then facilitate that discussion from you know what the students are feeling at the time to what they want to see, uh, that positive change that they want to see happen. Well, Don, I also want to give you a shout out because I noticed that you had 
posted an advertisement for schools that may be looking for someone to help them understand how to facilitate. When are you doing that? And I don't know if that'll come out in time for this post or not, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to say that too. Uh, thanks, Will. I'm calling it the Cultural Competency Hour of Power with Dr. Parker. And so I'll be leading this discussion with educators, uh, teachers, uh, counselors, social workers, any educator that wants to join in on June 10th, uh, Wednesday night from uh, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. That's fantastic. And if this post comes out after June 10th, can, is there a way that people can connect with you for a recording or a follow-up? Oh, absolutely. I will record it and I will uh, share the link with people. But we're just going to talk about you know, how to build a, skill, a, a school culture of diversity and inclusion, how to make all staff feel welcome along with all students, how to celebrate uh, the different and diverse student populations that we have, how to make them feel what I call the triple A, accepted, affirmed, and uh, accepted, affirmed, and appreciated in our schools, and how we can teach a culturally uh, responsive curriculum to our students. Thank you, Don. William, I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond before Marlena. What, what thoughts do you have for education leaders from various demographic groups as they're thinking about how, to, how should they be communicating with their communities? I was going to say, it's not fair that I get to come behind Dr. Parker there, uh, but just teasing. I would say, I, I want to answer your question, and then I also want to be able to, to offer practical steps or at least share what we're doing here, because I know people appreciate that. I would say, number one, you need to know what conversation you're having, okay? Um, go ahead and name the conversation. I think right now people are moving to respond because other people are responding and it feels like gym class where you're the last one called and you don't want to be the last one called so you're trying to figure out how to respond and so i've seen districts make a, take a stance on racial discrimination or uh just take a stance on social uh social issues or um, just social justice. And so number one, I think you need to identify what is it that I'm, what is it that I'm talking about? Just go ahead and name that. And I think if, if uh, schools and, and school leaders are waiting too late to have this conversation, uh, they're, they're missing an opportunity. And I think it will have a, a ripple effect on, on, the, uh, on the population or the group whereby they serve. But I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're doing here within our organization. Number one, if now is the first time you're having these conversations, you know, I think you need to acknowledge that you've missed opportunities in the past to have those conversations and then move forward in having them. One must be skillful in having these conversations. And so you're going to have to either bring in someone, an external person who can help you navigate these conversations or yourself be uh, the first learner and leader in, in these discussions. And so um, school leaders, administrators, superintendents just have to be very careful of that because you can open up these conversations and not do them well and cause more harm in the end. So here, what, what we're doing, I think you know, uh, Will, that I'm having a hybrid role. I'll be taking on a hybrid role this year, uh, whereas I've been a principal supervisor since uh, 2015. Um, where I am now, in the DFW area, uh, I'll be focused specifically on Fort Worth, our three schools in Fort Worth. And one of the middle schools that I'm a principal supervisor over, I've actually asked in having leadership transition, can I take on the school? Can I go back to be a school leader? So uh, most people look at me as if something's wrong, but I am enjoying the hybrid role of supervising 
two uh, middle schools in Fort Worth and being the school leader at one. So now it becomes more real to me than ever before. This is different from coming into a school and making sure that the compliance sheets are checked uh, and that I'm growing leadership capacity like I'm actually in it. And so one thing that we started to do in March we have conversations about race and inequities within our school. We are 70, 78% Hispanic, around 18% African-American. And then there are some other, uh, other racial demographics uh, represented. And so in my career, I have mostly been in uh, low performing and or communities that were mostly African-American. And so this is my first time having to lead in a community that's predominantly Hispanic. And so I made it very clear to my staff that this is a new, this is a new undertaking for me. And I've been quite vulnerable in saying there are things that I just do not know about this community. And based on that and dialogue, here are things that we have just got to change around implicit biases, perceptions we have about the community, perceptions we have about parents, perceptions we have about language. And we've also been able to look at some of our discipline data where our black females here, which make up 20 percent of the school, make up 60 percent of the discipline issues and then our Hispanic males. And so we begin to think like, OK, this is not good. And so we've been having conversations about equity. And so my original point was name the conversations. And I've been having that conversation with staff. We are looking through an equity lens and this is what we've got to change. And that's caused us to. So one book that uh, we started reading today is Push Out based upon our discipline data. And then we'll be shifting into culturally responsive teaching and the brain uh, for the summer. So the really good part is that the book read is only for admin, but teachers have caught wind of it and they're asking, how can we participate? And so I think when you have structures in place that based upon data and dialogue, you are addressing educational inequities. When things like this happen socially and politically, you respond, but you respond nationally because you've already been having those conversations. And so schools have got to be able to create spaces to have conversations about uh, educational inequities as they see them, as they see trends uh, from day to day based upon data and dialogue. And then when situations like this happen, and I would hope this will be the end of it in terms of our interaction with police brutality. And uh, we know racism is it's been something that we have we just got to change it. And I feel like these protests are actually just getting started. But um, I think that when you have structures in place to address inequities, when it comes time to talk about what's happening outside of the schoolhouse, it's not a difficult thing to shift into that conversation because you've already created that space and you've already made people comfortable in identifying, number one, their beliefs uh, and where they need to change in practice. And I just think it's just, it's just one that's made with ease. Mm-hmm. Well, and William, I'm, I'm going to give you a quick shout out. All three of you are amazing facilitators of good conversations, not on just this issue, but several other issues that I've seen you guys present on. But William, I've seen you present specifically on leading through the lens of, of equity in a presentation you did for us in, in Oklahoma. So I want to, principal managers, listeners, I will obviously be sharing the contact information for William and Don and Marlena so that you can reach out to them if you would like to connect with them, find out what resources they have available. And also, uh, if they're available to facilitate conversations for you guys and some of the consulting that they do too. But Marlene, I wanted to pose that same question to you as well. I know there's been a lot that's been said already, but as you think about what kinds of conversations that education leaders can be having among various demographic groups, what are some of your thoughts? You know, I think that uh, Don and and William are are right on point about making sure you bring in the right people to help you lead those conversations. I think that would be my initial 
advice. And I've already shared that with so many people that have reached out asking that question, how do they start this? If you haven't engaged in this level of work or had these very honest conversations, it, it is so important that you bring in you bring in people that have so it can work for you. One of the things that I, uh, I allude to a little bit uh, in my blog post, but that I probably should talk more about that I, I rarely do because it's just been my life and my experience is, uh, you know, growing up in the, in the South, I grew up in a predominantly white city. So I was one of a few or the only one. And that was part of my impetus for wanting to leave Louisiana and live in other places because I was tired of being the only black girl in the class, right? I didn't want my kids to go through that. And you know, sometimes when we try to go away from what our path is, you know, the universe or I'm a preacher's kid. So the Lord will bring you right back where you're supposed to be. And when I think about even my time being here in Colorado, you know, and I didn't want to go there initially, or I had reservations, I should say, because there wasn't a large population of other black people there from what I knew and and found to be very true. I remember my mom telling me, how dare you not go use the gifts that God has given you and that you have had these different experiences. So obviously you can speak to particularly our predominantly white school districts that need to know about equity and racism because they really may not know another black person. They really may not have a a class where they have black kids. You have children that are going to school and they've never seen a black person in a position of authority as a principal or a, a district leader or even a teacher. And so when I think about what what guidance you know, can I give, bring in the right people. And that is actually one of the main topics that really started the PD arm of Edu Gladiators, because I firmly believe you have to speak in a way that, that people will, will talk to you about that. And you have to listen and hear them without the judgment, because it's so vulnerable to have these conversations. I don't care what color you are, which side of it, and I think as a, as a Black educator and especially leader and consultant, I want people to be able to ask me questions. I want my, my white colleagues to be able to ask me questions, just like I want my students to ask questions around that. And we had great conversations around race and equity when I was a middle school teacher. It's important that we extend that same grace to our educators, because right now, educators, which I'm so glad everybody is jumping on board. They're starting to really become aware of what the issues really are. And I think it's important that for those of us that are of color, that somehow we've done it for 400 years, we find a way just one more time to send, just give a little bit of grace and be a person that someone can ask questions and get the right information. So whether that's leading the conversation at their schools or district or just for their own understanding that we do that. So that's really, that's really probably something I should talk about more, but that's, that is one of my most asked for sessions in doing that and walking schools and districts through equity audits and different things like that, but in such a way where, uh, you know, people feel comfortable sharing. Thank you, Marlena. And I just want to make sure Principal Matters listeners know that this conversation is going to continue in next week's episode as well, because William, you said this earlier, but this is the beginning of a long conversation. And I think especially as I look at our Gen Z students, I'm seeing a lot of interest, emotion, and activism among our kids that I'm not sure I'm even seeing among our adults. And on the one hand, it's amazingly encouraging to see our students rallying around 
people who are hurting and rallying around activism. But at the same time, it's also, as school leaders, challenging to know, like, how do we respond in ways to make sure that we're guiding our students um, to the best outcomes and the best conversations. So as we wrap up this part of the conversation, I just wanted to give each of you an opportunity to tell listeners how they can stay connected with you because if this is the only episode that they have an opportunity to listen to, I want to make sure that they can jump online afterwards and find each of you. So Marlena, if you don't mind letting people know where they can find you on social media or your website so that they can contact you if they want to get a hold of Marlena Gross-Taylor. Absolutely. Um, of course, I think we're all pretty active on Twitter as well. Like most educators, you can find me at M Gross, G-R-O-S-S, Taylor, as well as MarlenaTaylor.com, our Gladiators. You can find us on all of this, the major social medias as Gladiators or just Marlena Gross Taylor. Just don't let um, not knowing keep you from moving forward and helping to push what we know needs to be done, done. So we're here to help. And Dr. Parker, if you could give us some contact information, how can listeners stay connected with you? All right. Listeners can stay connected to me through Twitter. And my Twitter handle is drdonparker1. And they can also email me. My email is drdonparker at comcast.net. That's drdonparker at comcast.net. And William Stubbs, how can listeners stay connected with you? Uh, I, too, am on Twitter, uh, WM, which is an abbreviation of William. Uh, WM Stubbs uh, is my Twitter handle. And then um, just correct connecting with me via email or on, on LinkedIn. Uh, same thing on LinkedIn. And then email is WMStubbs at gmail.com. Well, William and Don and Marlena, it's such a pleasure to have you as guests on this show. And I'm looking forward to next week when we have an opportunity to talk more and dig even deeper into these questions. And I, and I was also thinking at this time too, just a quick side note, but uh, William and Marlena, I've had the opportunity to have meals with both of you. So that means Don, uh, you and I have a date at some point because I've had the opportunity to sit face-to-face with William and Marlena. So it sounds like Chicago is a trip I need to, to make next, or you need to come to Tulsa. So one of the two. So we need to connect sometimes so that we can actually share a meal. But it has been such an amazing pleasure to be with each of you. I know you're busy. I know that you are um, wrestling with all kinds of emotions as parents, as educators, as individuals. And I just want to thank you and, and let you guys know how much I honor, respect, and stand in solidarity with you. And Principal Matters listeners, I want you to know that what you do matters. And we'll talk to you again soon. What I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm doing the wrap-up recording, which is, this is the bonus, like, because sometimes the best things get said as we're saying goodbye, and I <laughs> so I I've learned to keep it going, but I've stopped this second, so we have two sessions going there, but um, man, I hope part of my, I took, one of the, when I take personality tests, obviously, you're probably not surprised that you find out that I'm a connector, and so um, one of the things that I love is connecting friends. So I hope this is the beginning of a conversation that even if I'm not around, you guys um, now know each other and can take advantage of the places, the parts of the countries that you serve and, and the people that you're serving too. So I hope those friendships will continue. Thank Marlena you. is glad to finally uh, meet you. <laughs> this dude. I, I, try to get up, I try to get up every Saturday to do Edgy Gladi- Gladiators. And uh, sometimes I'm, I'm doing it with one eye. <laughs> <laughs> me too, depending on where I am in the country. Let me tell you, you know, that eight o'clock hour was great when we were in Nashville. Not yeah. so much if I'm in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> so when I called you a few days ago, Marlena, you were in 
Wyoming. So like, are you yeah. in Baltimore after Wyoming? You travel. So yeah. Much. So I took a little vacay and uh, I took a little vacay and that's just right across the way. Right. Um, with, with some graduation parties and, you know, just friends there, a solo vacay for that before I came back. But um, I didn't even mention this here, but what was really interesting is um, of course, there's not a lot of black people in Wyoming either. So it was with some of my white friends, but on my way driving, I got stopped by the police. And I actually like called one of my friends, like, hey, just stay on the phone because I'm going to talk because I was stopped for no reason. And the guy gave me, didn't even a ticket, right? Just so they know that I have somebody on the phone. I'm not out here by mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. you know? And that was a wow. huge eye-opening moment for yeah. my friends to say like, oh my gosh, like, why would they stop you? Yeah. You know? Um, so it happens. It happens. Yeah. That happened so they could see it and they had conversations with their friends and their families and they've been asking about resources and, and having those, those honest conversations about that because they wouldn't have experienced that and they couldn't believe like, what do you mean you stopped? You were stopped, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I just got back to, to the East Coast. So well, I was on the phone with Don the other day too, and Don, you kind of had a scary experience the first time you tried to take your family out to Burger King. So that was a little bit shocking, I think, for you and your kids. Oh yeah, so I'll tell you guys a quick story. So my neighborhood has shut everything down, and so my youngest daughter has special needs, and so she loves getting Burger King and you know a blue slushy from Burger King, and so um, we wanted to you know give her a little treat because her behavior has has improved and so we drove to the burger king right outside our neighborhood and as it was that was burger king happens to be closed too and this was the day of the protests and the riots when they first started and so as we were driving back uh, a car ran the red light and went past us and then about a block ahead we just saw people it was an envoy of like trucks and suvs that just all started running red lights and as we drove a block ahead we just see these trucks parked in the middle of the street and people are jumping out, running across the street to the beauty supply store and to AutoZone, you know, breaking the glass with their um, hammers and shovels and things like that. And then just carrying stuff out of the store and grows. And as I looked at these people, I, was, I had an opportunity to just like look at their faces and look in their eyes. And I said, OK, they, they don't care anything about why the people are protesting. Uh, they don't care anything about the big picture. They're just taking advantage of the situation. And so my wife started panicking. Oh my God, Don, get us out of here. <laughs> and so as, I'm, as, as she's saying that, she's saying, wait, but slow down. She wants to take video of it with her phone. <laughs> <laughs> so you were right in the heart of the right of the, in the heart of, of the riot, what was man. going on. Goodness, yeah. goodness. It was different from when I saw all the craziness taking place after the Bulls won their championship. I was in high school. I was walking, you know, with the crowds and everything. That was fun. You know, people were excited. You know, people were looking to take advantage and ride and loop, but it was a different feel. This, I felt, I felt, I felt that evilness vibe and it was very uncomfortable, you know, and I felt that I was in my family that we were unsafe. I want to hurry up and get out of there, you know, just call 911. Like, Hey, you guys have a situation over here you need to handle, but it was just, it's a negative feeling. 
Yeah. And that's what I keep trying to tell my kids. That people are going to exploit situations where something good is trying, so people are trying to do something good and people are going to ex- exploit those situations, but you have to keep coming back to the why. And William, you, you live like right across from the police station in Dallas. Right so across you've from seen- the police station. <laughs> right across. I look out the, been, I see it. Yeah. I mean, like every day, every, what's going on there every day? Uh, I mean, we have different things going on, but, uh, I've been in some of the protests and for the first time, something about what Don said, my wife said to me, I'm really nervous for you. And I thought, I'm pretty conservative. Like I'm not gonna, I'm pretty laid back. You know, I'm not, I didn't have a curfew growing up. I wasn't one of those wild kids. And so for her to say that, I was like, wow. But then I just thought about all that's going on and you know, how she feels. Cause we've just seen a lot. Yeah. And then I saw the most beautiful pictures that you put up when you came back the other day and your daughter should set up their dolls. Yeah. What explain that, what that look like? Their dolls uh have been protesting. So we've been uh I come home and they have little post-it notes up and <laughs> but um they've been in they've been in one protest, so they have an awareness of and I thought about this as I was prepping for this. You know, our kids for most of their school years, schooling years, since 2012, they have seen this. Like this has been a comment, this in school shootings, like from Trayvon Martin to when this all started, like it, we're almost at a decade. And so my, my oldest, who is 10, this is a recurring, you know, episode. And I thought when I was protesting last week, I turned to one guy and I was Facebook live. And I said, you know, the last time I did this, I was in Oklahoma City. And wait a minute, I don't remember who it was. This is happening so frequently that I'm losing track of who I'm protesting for. But um. Yeah, for me, it's just helpful to get out there and say something. That's a good perspective. But for some of our kids who have lived with this for a long time, other for other of our students, this is the first time they've really been aware yeah. of of the of the reality of what's happening. And so I think it's it's important to keep that perspective. For some people, this is a, a long journey, and for other people, this is the beginning of a journey. Yeah, for them too. My family and I, we've participated in a couple of protests, one in Tulsa and then one here in our own community, and both have been relatively peaceful. We had the one in Tulsa. There was actually a a bridge um, that the marchers uh, had stepped over when a car decided to try to come through, and it, thankfully, uh, no one was killed. But it was it was pretty scary. But I've been really proud of the communities here of, of people stepping out. And participating, but I know for my my children, it's just been. And I think I talked about this with you, um, Marlene and Don. Uh, my fourteen year old son Jack has just been, you know, emotional. Like, what can what can I do? You know, and Marlene, one of the things you said to me that was so helpful was, you know, we're adults, but these are kids with hormones and emotions that are all over the place. So, you know, how do we guide them in the midst of all that emotion to do something productive? All right. All right, my friends. I'm going to get out. Thank you. William, Thank nice you. I'm going to say nice good to see you. We'll be in touch with both of you guys. Absolutely. And I'm staying in touch with you, All right, guys. All right. Talk to you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. <laughs>